Hi, I'm Katrina Daniel, and welcome to Primetime Crime, a podcast for people who want to know what goes on behind the scenes of the most notorious trending crime stories and what's going on in the minds of those involved in those stories. What are the detectives, the judges, the defense attorneys, and the prosecutors thinking? You'll hear it all on Primetime Crime, the podcast. Hi, and welcome to Primetime Crime. I'm Katrina Daniel, and you know that old saying, truth is stranger than fiction? Well, this case is the poster child for that saying. We're talking about the Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case in Idaho. The couple is behind bars on everything but murder charges, even though her children, a 7-year-old boy named JJ and a 16-year-old girl, Tylee, were found buried, dismembered, burned, and wrapped in plastic in her new husband, Chad's, backyard. While police and law enforcement from several jurisdictions were searching for the children who've been missing since September, Lori and Chad were vacationing in Hawaii, telling friends and anxious relatives that her children were with other friends and relatives. Lori Vallow pled not guilty to conspiring to hiding the children's remains. She's a housewife, married four or five times if you count the current guy, Chad Daybell, who is, ready for it? a gravedigger. Yep, that was his job. Then he wrote a book, One Foot in the Grave, catchy title and eerily prophetic. He also went on to write several other books, became vaguely associated with the Church of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the Mormons. Now, you should know that as soon as he was arrested, the Church of Latter-day Saints issued a statement disavowing any connection with Daybell. The genre of his writing, doomsday cult stuff and preparing for the second coming of Christ. In fact, news reports indicate that Lori told her fourth husband, before he was killed by her brother, that she was a god here to assist Christ's return. And if that husband got in her way, she'd have to kill him. So basically, you need a spreadsheet to follow all the twists and turns in this case. And so we have some heavy-hitter professionals to help us untangle this mess. Former state and federal prosecutor Dick Gregory and defense attorney Joe Rosenbaum, two of the sharpest, most experienced legal minds I've had the pleasure to work with. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Rogers, an attorney, private investigator, and retired FBI special agent, says there's a strategy he's seen in court for couples accused of committing crimes together. You normally go uh, in it when you're offering a plea agreement, you're going to go to the one who you think was manipulated. In this case, it's probably her. It's possible, he says, there's a plea deal in the works on the condition that Lori testifies against her own husband. I would be very surprised if that wasn't something they're attempting. Uh, It's very, very common in these types of cases. Rogers says the prosecution needs other witnesses before they can pursue a homicide charge. That witness could be Lori. Joining me this afternoon discussing the very interesting uh, Lori Vallow, Chad Daybell case is... um, Famous prosecutor, both state and federal, Dick Gregory, who has handled some of the most high-profile cases in the country, and defense attorney Joe Rosenbaum. Joe and Dick have met each other several times, and they're two interesting, dynamic, 
legal minds that I've ever seen. It's just fabulous. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Let's discuss the Daybell Vallow case. Dick, let me talk to you first. What, what is your take on this case? What do you think is going on here? Well, what, what's most important is we, we have two bodies, so you have the corpus delecti. However, uh, we do not have enough evidence yet for the, for the prosecution to charge a murder charge. So what we have here is the prosecutor charging what they can, holding the defendants with the charges that they have, in hopes that the, the evidence to prove the murder case is, is going to be forthcoming shortly. Why wouldn't it be forthcoming? I mean, the kid's been found, you know, with duct tape and over his mouth and, and his hands are bound. Why wouldn't there be evidence more easily accessible? Well, there was a great deal of time which, which passed since the, the, the kids were buried. It looks like they were buried sometime back in September, according to the probable cause affidavit, which which uh, indicated that they were probably buried sometime in September, and they weren't uh, they weren't dug up until sometime late in June. This is going to be an interesting case because you have the two uh, uh, dead children, and the motive is going to be this uh, uh, unusual beliefs on the part of uh, uh, the mother. And it would be very unusual for a mother to kill or have killed her own children. And um, her, uh, her current husband, her last husband, having been murdered by her brother. And unfortunately, the brother who probably did bring the kids to Idaho and may have been involved in the murder himself is, is also now dead. So it leaves a lot of, lot of holes in the proof. Joe, your take, and I'm thinking right away... If Alex Cox, Lori Vallow's brother, killed the kids, that's their defense. They had nothing to do with it. Talk to me. They got to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that Lori and or Chad were involved in the planning or the solicitation or the actual murder of the children. And that they don't have. And they even have a, the, the charges against um, Chad Dyball right now is being charged with... Um, He's having his preliminary hearing as we speak. He's, he's charged with um, two counts of destruction, alteration, or concealment of evidence, which is conspiring to keep the children's bodies from being found. The bodies were found on his property, but that's all they really have. They got to connect him with actively being involved in the concealment, the burying of the bodies, um, which may be an easier task for the government to prove, but Lori's going to be a tougher tougher way to go for the government. Why? Um, the, she, it's not her property. Um, I don't know what evidence there is. Everything I've read so far, there's nothing really tying her to it. There may be some circumstantial evidence, but not enough. And uh, the other charges they charged her with in the other county, uh, the bond was lowered from a million to 150,000. One of the charges was dismissed. And the only counts there are really are misdemeanors with a maximum of a two-year prison sentence. If convicted, um, the charges in Fremont County, where they're having the preliminary hearing today for Dieball, are felonies a little more serious, but I think the prosecution has a, a long way to go to prove that. I think what they're doing is just trying to hold them uh, and try to prove that they were involved in the actual homicides in some way, shape, or form. And they may be able to, but as of right now, I don't see it. Dick, what are your thoughts on that? 
Well, uh, it seems that there was some new evidence that was uh, disclosed. I know that it's not really new. It was in the probable cause affidavit, which, which allowed the police to uh, uh, search the property. And that was the testimony from Melanie Gibb, uh, one of Lori Vallow's uh, best friends, who, who provided uh, the motive uh, for this murder. She explained uh, Lori's uh, belief in, in zombies and that, that her belief that the kids were uh, actually zombies and that their mortal soul had been taken away from them and the only way to save them, get their real being back, was to, was to kill them. Uh, and uh, more importantly, she also provides testimony that that uh, Laurie asked her to uh, uh, lie to the police about where the kids were, and in fact that Laurie and and her uh, now current husband, Mr. Dable, fled to uh, Hawaii when they knew the police were going to come looking for them. So uh, that flight is is uh, interesting circumstantial evidence and probably will be admitted because they knew they were uh, being investigated, and also the the motive. Uh, this belief in zombies, although it's going to uh, have to take some some uh, some investigation to get more testimony about it. Do you think, Joe, that they are going to have an insanity defense? Uh, too early to tell. That's a you know they do have an insanity defense. You have to admit that they did the crime. You have to admit that they committed the murders, and then they've got to, the lawyers have to present evidence that at the time of the the criminal act, they didn't know right from wrong due to a mental disease or defect, whatever that standard is in that state. Every state's the insanity is, uh, instructions a little different, but you're admitting that they were involved in it. And then it's, you're just arguing their mental capacity. And that's, that's a tough way to go, especially on a case as weak as this. Um, that's something that I don't even think is on the table right now. They're going actual innocence. Well, I, I think that you're going to see some other, uh, if, if it's a good prosecutor, he's going to use some inventive prosecution theories. And uh, if I were him, I'd be looking at a conspiracy to commit murder. And uh, I would say one of the co-conspirators was uh, Laurie's brother, who uh, actually uh, was the way in which the bodies were found. They, they uh, uh, tracked his phone, and uh, you could see that his phone site was where the bodies were buried. That's actually how they found them. So if you consider him a co-conspirator and you, you uh, uh, use a conspiracy to commit murder, you might have a, a much stronger case. And uh, that way you would bring uh, all three defendants in. When I say three defendants, I'm considering the, the dead brother who won't be an actual defendant because, of course, he's, he's gone now. But he would be a, a uh, co-conspirator in, in, in under this theory. And the theory would further go that Alex Cox isn't there because he was eliminated as a witness to further cover up the homicide. Now, if you look at the, when I, when I came on here to talk to you, they were just getting into the cell site data for Alex Cox's phone being at the area where the bodies were found. Now, I don't know, there's different ways to do the cell site data. Some of it's compelling and some of it really isn't if you take a look at it. So I really don't know what they have at this point because that's being discussed right now. I think there uh, uh, is a lot of other evidence that, that might be uh, uncovered. I don't know, we haven't seen the full autopsy report and, and so uh, a lot of may have been, what, what may have been found may be helpful as to some degree. Uh, the bodies were pretty well, uh, 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 at least the little boy, JJ's body was wrapped in, in uh, 
covers, but the the uh, young girl was totally mutilated. And so whether or not they were able to, to uh, um, uncover enough evidence to be, be helpful in this, this point of the investigation, it's still unclear. And I would certainly want to, to see more of the autopsy report. Now, to go further on that, they're exhuming the body of Tammy Dybal. She died two weeks before Chad married Lori. Um, that's a little suspicious. But if it turns out her autopsy reveals cause of manner of death similar to the children, that would be something stronger for the prosecution. If, if drugs were used or poison was used or something that they could uh, get their hands around and the cause of deaths all being the same, and then you have the brother, Alex, who was killed. I, I could see them going to exhume his body, too, to see the manner and cause of death is him, of him to see if it's all related. Because if they could tie it all up into one thing, it really strengthens their case. Why did you say this was a weak case a few moments ago, Joe? Because as of right now, they don't have all the pieces. And that's why they haven't charged murder. They've charged hiding evidence, hiding the bodies, which they have to show. Now, if Alex is the one that buried the bodies and he did it on Chad's property, maybe Chad didn't know. They've got to prove that Chad knew. I knew the, I know there's some circumstantial things. The police came to the house on day one and day two, they went to Hawaii. They lied about where the kids are. There's the statements to Melanie Gibbs. These are little things and they could add up, but there's also, you know, circumstantial evidence is strong evidence. However, there may be an explanation for all these various factors. They need they need a little more to tighten it up. What do you think, Dick? Do you think they can play the two against each other? Well, this is uh, going to be an interesting legal problem. They have the same lawyer right now. Uh, <laughs> and that's a, a very dangerous legal, uh, both legal and ethical problem on the part of that lawyer. Uh, if I was the prosecutor in that case, I would be fighting uh, very hard to, to uh, make sure that they get uh, separate lawyers. Because uh, in the end, uh, uh, you know, if you go to trial with these cases, it would be, be a very difficult point for that lawyer to be uh, representing both parties, especially if one of them is going to complain, uh, going to uh, make the uh, uh, allegation that they were completely innocent, had nothing to do with it. And, and uh, then there were meetings with the two of them together and cross-examination is it could possibly implicate the, the other defendant. So um, if I were the prosecutor in this case, I would be fighting with the judge to insist that uh, uh, they get a new lawyer for one or the other. And if I was the judge, I'd be demanding that they have a Garcia hearing or to order that one of them gets a separate lawyer. Because even worse than that, let's say one of them wants to plea and wants to cooperate. If the same lawyer represents both of them, they might prevent that from happening and both of them get convicted. And that lawyer's license is in jeopardy then. You can't do that. It's a clear conflict here. This isn't even one that may happen. Right now, this is a clear conflict and they need separate counsel immediately. Do you think that they are going to turn on each other, testify against each other? Dick, if you were the prosecutor, what would you do? <laughs> Well, if, if, if this were my case, I would be looking to cut a deal with one or both of them uh, to, to see which one wanted to uh, uh, talk first. Uh, and and uh, I would be reaching out very hard for that. that. That's why it's a problem that they have the, the same lawyer, because uh, uh, he can't very well cooperate with one, one against the other when, when he's representing both of them. 
So I, I think this is a it's a it's a legal and ethical problem that that needs to be resolved. And I'm amazed that the court thus far hasn't hasn't forced them to do it. But I certainly would be be trying to get uh, cooperation from one of them for sure. I agree. Role play with me. If I were Lori Vallo and you are the prosecutor, what are you going to say to me to try to get me uh, convince me to plead or well, to I, not I chat? I, I think that you, you would have to say these these were your these were your children that were murdered and and, and slaughtered. Uh, you know, don't you think you ought to come forward and at least uh, uh, let their souls rest in peace and tell the uh, tell the whole story? Uh, I certainly would make that pitch to her, and and I, I would say certainly if you plead guilty, we're gonna cut some sort of deal with you in order to 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 get your testimony and get the truthful. Uh, part of the story. Now, if she pleads guilty to accessory after the fact of conspiracy to commit murder, it certainly is not a, uh, a death penalty case under, under those conditions. And, and probably, uh, you know, a, a sentence can be uh, arrived at where they can negotiate it, or at least there would be reasonable negotiation. Joe, what do you think? If they were your clients, or let's just do Lori, what would you say to her? What would you advise her to do? Well, I would go over the evidence with her and I would tell her what she's facing, what she's looking at, and that the prosecutor is interested in debriefing her and wanting her to cooperate, especially if she had a minor role or was ancillary to the, to the homicides, and to tell her, you know, she's got the rest of her life in front of her. Does she want to be locked up forever or does she want to possibly be executed? And the same pitch that, that Dick gave about um, you know, it's your children, even though one was adopted, she raised them, uh, let them rest in peace and, and do the right thing. And, you know, you're going to have to get into her, you know, if she made these statements and she has this belief system that Chad Dyball has about, you know, the afterlife and the, the zombies and the 144,000 and all that other stuff that they profess, then you're going to have to, you know, go through that with her and, and talk her, walk her away from it. But you can need a lawyer who's really experienced. I would have her examined by a mental health professional um, if I was her lawyer. And let's get to the bottom of what's going on here and try to save her life. Dick, would you ask for the death penalty? Is it, is it on the table here? Uh, I think I would need to uh, hear much more. Um, if she really is uh, mentally ill in this this belief in zombies and and uh, uh, was either uh, took over her life or her thinking, uh, you know, I would have to uh, consider that. But a mother who kills her own children, it's a uh, uh, it would make me me wonder about her her mental stability and and what was going on in her head when when all of this happened. Um, so I, I would have to consider more facts. And in fact, in trying to get her to cooperate, I would have to consider this because what kind of witness would she make? I mean, is she really uh, um, all there? I mean, could you put her up there as a credible witness if the defense is going to cross-examine her as being someone who is, is, is totally uh, uh, insane? So uh, I think that, that her mental uh, her mental stability is is a real issue in this case. Or was she under the substantial domination or influence of another, and that could have led her to where she went? So you got to delve into the history of both of these folks, 
She's got a long history. She was on husband number five. She's had some strange relationships. His wife died two weeks before he got married to her in her sleep, supposedly. So you got to take a look into his writings, his books. It's going to take a lot of work. This is not a case where if you're a prosecutor, you make a quick decision to charge and not to charge. And there's no statute of limitation on the murder. So do your work. The FBI is involved and let's see what turns out. Well, I, I still think uh, that the prosecutor should consider bringing a, a conspiracy uh, uh, to, to uh, uh, be accessories after the fact. Uh, so conspiracy to commit murder and the fact that they were accessories after the fact, he should be, be uh, considering those charges. Because I think if once you put the two together at the same trial, then uh, you, you've almost forced the judge into the position where he's got to get them a, a separate attorney. And I think that's really the, the key to this case. Let's go to motive real quick. What do you think the motive might have been, Joe? I'm not sure because I know the grandparents wanted custody. I know there were other people that wanted the children. If she didn't want them anymore, then why not give them to somebody else? Why go through all this and all the things they did that they've been doing since September of, or even before of 2019, um, murder the children in order to continue on with their lifestyle? I'm, I'm not really sure. There's a lot of mystery still left to be told. What about life insurance um, as a motive? Dick, what do you think? I don't know. Well, I, I've seen no facts as far that there was insurance on those two children and uh, who held the, uh, the policies. Um, there's been no, uh, at least I've seen no evidence thus far uh, on that. Uh, if you have some, by all means, I'd, I'd be glad to see it. But, but thus far, uh, I haven't seen it. The only life insurance policy that came up, Lori, one of Lori's prior husbands had a policy and he assigned it to his one of his other relatives before he died. So Lori didn't get any of the one million dollar policy to raise the kids. Um, I think Tammy Daybell, Chad's wife, uh, he was the beneficiary of that. But I don't know to, you know, how much money I was like three hundred thousand or something. But I'm unclear about that. That's a second other policy. There were there are two that I've heard of that one and one that was on one of Lori's husbands where she did not get the proceeds. Gentlemen, any last thoughts before we sign off? Interesting case. Um, a lot to work with for both sides. Prosecution's going to have his hands full. He's special appointed prosecutor because it was such a, a newsworthy case in the small community that they brought Mr. Wood in from from outside the community, and I'm sure he's going to get a lot of help. And uh, if they can tie some interstate commerce violations to this, maybe you'll see the federal government take over and prosecute the case and really put a lot of resources into it and tie it up because you've got several people that have died. You've got interstate uh, travel and connections, Hawaii, Arizona, Idaho, um, who knows where this goes? I think we're just at the beginning of a long road. Jack, what do you think? You think it'll ever go to trial? Uh, at this point, if the uh, defendants maintain their dance, I think that uh, uh, it may go to trial on the charges that they have, and they may get convicted with a sentence of a year or two. And during that time period, uh, I think the, the state is going to have to go uh, to great lengths to, to work on the evidence. As I say, I think the uh, the evidence of the manner in which the kill, children were killed 
and the uh, manner in which uh, these religious or, or philosophical beliefs and zombies uh, needs to be further developed, and there needs to be uh, some evidence as to as to uh, uh, exactly what those beliefs were and how they they applied them to the children. Jake Gregory and Joe Rosenbaum, two of the top legal minds, always on top of their game. Thank you very, very much for joining us. And I know we'll be talking to you again. Have a good one. See you later. Bye. I'm Katrina Daniel. Thank you for listening to Primetime Crime, the podcast. Follow us on Facebook at Primetime Crime, Instagram, Primetime Crime 7, and Twitter, Primetime Crime 3. Post your comments and tell us what true crime stories you'd like to hear about. Subscribe to Primetime Crime on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts.